There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Matthew McKean. Matt is the co-founder and chairman of Frontier Applied Sciences, an energy company. We had a great conversation that went from the various sources of energy utilized in the United States and all over the world, to the impact and future of renewable energy sources, to electric and driverless cars. You can find out more about Matt and what he's working on at FrontierAS.com as well as some other sources that are listed in the show notes. If you'd like more info on this issue that we discussed, click contact us in the show notes and we'll get you what you need. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is my good friend, Matthew McKean. Of Happy to be here of Frontier, the co-founder and chairman of Frontier Applied Sciences. Centauri, what do you think that Americans use the most of, that Americans consume the most of? Is it oil, coal, or nachos? Oh, wow. I didn't think you'd throw that third thing in there. Um, God, America's pretty fat. <laughs> they drive a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with oil. Yeah, it, it is actually oil, I Boom. believe. So, Boom. anyway, I, I, I always like to try to stump Centauri right out of the gate. Lately, he's been doing pretty well. Yep. So, kudos Can't to you. Can't get one by him. I, I, I was able to earlier, but... Yeah, you were. But now, I'm, I'm on to your game. Yep. There's probably 10 or 11 you know, cliches we can throw. <laughs> yeah. Probably true. Her, getting the worm. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, probably any number. Anyway, uh, today we're going to be talking about... Alternative energy, things like that. Um, and I know that you've had a, a, a long and successful career, but have gotten into the energy space five, six years ago? Uh, since 2010. Yes. Okay, seven yes. years ago. Since 2010. So it's uh, I have a background in real estate finance and had a couple different businesses. But, uh, you know, I decided to go into the energy world. I CEO'd a company. Um, the mortgage, you know, crisis hit, you know, and, uh, it opened up tremendous opportunity for me because I got to sit back and you say, you know, I'm going to definitely launch another company at some point. What do I want to do? And so, you know, I asked, I started asking really big questions and I think that's where a lot of, um, life can really change for people is the different questions that we ask and the questions that we ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, you know, what could I do that could be tremendously impactful? And having seen, you know, the real estate, you know, mortgage and financial crisis, I said, you know, what can I do that's in the necessity sector? Mm-hmm. Is there a product or is there an industry I can go into which has potential irregardless of the economy? Is there something that people are going to need? Is there something that's growing that will never be impeded? And... Um, I did my research and I came up with the fact that energy was the largest product in the world and it was three times the size of the packaged food industry. And then it made natural sense because without energy, you can't grow food, you can't Mm -hmm. transport food, store food. Um, And uh, I mean, food really is energy. Unless you're nacho eating, impossible to heat up the nacho cheese. Yeah, the nacho cheese. Maybe (laughs) that's something, something else. But yeah, so. So, that, so here I am several years later. And so what did your initial research show? So energy business, obviously uh, um, a good play or a good sector for revenue play, but what, what made you say, all right, this is where I need to go? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I was excited, you know, I've always kind of jokingly called myself a scientist trapped in the body of a salesperson. Okay. So I was a science major in college. I thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I got my degree in human nutrition, minored in chemistry and I was probably that kid that was always going, well, why? You know what I mean? Why is it? Is that really true? And you know, thirty-eight percent of statistics are all made up, like that one I was made up. You know, I was always questioning, is that really true? Is that really the, you know, is that really the way it is? And so, um, 
you know, you, you there's a potential and a big push for green energy and, you know, alternative energy. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk some about that. But I started looking at uh, all these green energies and green this and green that. And mostly what I was finding was that a lot of them were technologies that couldn't stand alone on their own without mm-hmm. a government subsidy attached to it. And so I tend to be probably more libertarian in terms of I don't like big government, big taxes. And I had some aversion to the thought that I could build a technology that required four neighbors on the street to pay for Fred, you know, (laughs) who's at the corner just because he happened to sign up for this type of Mm. technology. So uh, I started looking at everything I could find out there. And um, when you put your mind to something, you end up finding often what you're looking for. So I found this technology was a brilliant chemical engineer and it was in the coal sector and um, took a lot of due diligence and recruited a partner and and here we are today about ready to launch our technology. So after years of patent work and IP development. Literally years of Mm -hmm. patent work and IP development, Mm -hmm. which what a cumbersome process that, that, that really must be. It is. Um, oftentimes, adversity is what gives us the opportunity out of necessity to, 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 to reassess things. And it sounds like that's, you know, you've been successful in the, uh, in the finance industry for a long time. And then 2008 came along and, and mixed it up. But I think the majority of people out there have all these great ideas, but they never really take that initial step to mm-hmm. actually get started. <clears throat> What do you think it is about you that's that's different, or or is there something that's different, or you just said, you know what? Let's... I th- I think when you if you f- if if a person finds something that is very compelling to them, then that's where it all starts. And for some reason, well, I, I, one of the things that hit me is I is I, I will I do not forget this moment as I was researching, I was looking into world energy markets, and it hit me that uh, at that time there were about half a million people or I'm sorry, half a billion people in India that lived without electricity or a constant mm-hmm. ready state baseload electricity. And uh, I remember that really just hitting me going, you know, imagine, you know, we turn the lights out and all the power shuts off on North America, you know, Canada, you know, just, let's just go down all the way North, South, you know, Canada, U S half a million Mexico, people, Mexico. And there's the, not maybe hit that number, but you know, we just, if our, if my power, my power went out, you know, someone hit a transformer or something the other day and I remember when power's out in the morning, I'm like, what is going on? It's a crisis. It's like two weeks 10 ago. minutes. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And I'm out at the, at the box and my neighbors, you know, this is my breaker out. My neighbors, ah, the power's out. So but that really was, in, was impactful to me. So about the number now is 1.2 billion people live without electricity. About 700 million of that is in Africa. The other 500 million is mixed between parts of Asia and South America. So if you think about 1.2 billion people, um, and I believed I found a technology which could, could change that ultimately in a big way. So that, so the, I, I think um, vision the ability to stick to something over a long period of time. And I knew it wasn't going to be a short get rich quick. I knew it was going to take a long time and uh, it certainly has, but you know, it's kind of like in, you know, in real estate, let's say we all partnered and we found some plot of land and we said, Hey, let's go develop that into you know shopping centers and multifamily and all that. I mean, the amount of time that would take years to do, mm-hmm. you, you buy the land you got to close on the land you've got to then you've got to get it entitled and you've got to get permitting done and you've got to get architectural work done and then you've got to you've got to get the underground work done set up all the way where you're ready to go you know above the curb and um that's kind of where where we're at right now so i was going to say you said um coal sector but alternative energy walk us through that well, that's George Sturm's alternative energy. So I, I think um, correct. So so <laughs> I uh, back so essentially what our technology will do it's it's called solid carbon fractionation, and that's we basically we've created an entirely new category fractionation 
fractionation, solid carbon fractionation. And so I started talking about this interesting on like a, a, a Facebook live or a blog because there's so much weight given to alternative energy and green energies. And, and um, so I know we'll get into some of that because I'll give you some of my views and thoughts on that. But the world's most plentiful energy source is coal. Um, the U.S. is, in fact, quote-unquote, the Saudi Arabia of coal. So we have far more coal than anyone else in the world. Not the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Russia's number two, and they're probably, I think, they're about 50% of what we have. So, however, coal's not without its drawbacks. You know, it's dirty. Um, it's been around a long time, and you've had coal companies that just didn't have to change. You know, they could just kind of keep doing things the way they could do it. And I joke whenever I see these, uh, these, you know, internet little memes or ads and it'll say, you know, oh, what the, what the power company doesn't want you to know and doesn't want you to see this. And uh, I can just tell you that the, the power company does not care how much your electric bill is. They don't care at all. And the coal companies and, and, um, the standard, um, natural gas world all they care is if they have to do additional stuff to clean it up can they pass that rate on to the rate payers hmm. and so the u.s we have the cheapest power in the world it's one of it's our last advantage so if we're ever going to make anything in the united states again on a big level we don't want our cheap energy going away because we already lost the labor battle the cheap labor is going overseas but we have the absolute cheapest power in the world so um our technology essentially takes a ton of coal and we can run it through a low pressure, moderate heat, continuous feed process so we can extract transportation fuels directly out of the coal in large quantities. And we demoisturize and we devolatilize the coal and what we leave, what we're left with is a pure coal product that if burned for electricity burns as cleaner, cleaner than natural gas. Mm. So that is an environmental benefit, but the economic model is really powerful because we can pull significant amounts of diesel, jet fuel, and uh, naphtha, which is a gasoline precursor, directly out of the coal in large quantities. And that's, it was funny, that's initially how, you know, go back over 100 years ago, the way we got oil was out of coal. So this is very accepted science. There was, until they drilled the first oil well, you know, they, they used to burn, they used to, basically melt down coal into oil. So the German war machine, you know, the Burgess method, you know, Hitler used it, didn't have oil. So he, they used coal, mm -hmm. cooked it into to crude, and then they had to refine it into an oil product. So if you can say, what what piece of this do you own the IP of? Like, what's the innovative piece? Yeah, so our patent is for uh, uh, method and a apparatus mm -hmm. for fractionation and liquefaction of solid of volatiles inside solid carbonaceous materials. Made up words. I think, I think, I think that's the name of our, our patent. So, so we create, so we cre uh, our, our uh, brilliant uh, chemical engineer, Joe Witherspoon, he, um, really interesting guy. It, um, it's a funny story with Joe. Like one time I'm talking with him and, and I said something about, ah, you know, it's not like it's rocket science. You know, it's not like you have to be a rocket scientist or something. And he goes, I've always just wondered why they use that term. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, you know, I mean, come on. He goes, rocket science, it's pretty basic science. He goes, you know, you're just doing trajectories and, you know, trajectories <laughs> and propulsions. He goes, get smart, and, and, he, and he's serious. He's like, I just don't get why they get all this crap. <laughs> science know? snob. So, so uh, but, uh, so our, our technology has the ability to process um, and fractionate out almost pump-ready transportation fuels. Um, most technologies that have been done in the past were batch processes. I mean, you could cook one batch at a time, mm -hmm. and you'd only get a crude product, and then you have to take that synthetic crude, and they have to send it to the refineries. So our process, and it can only be so much at a time, then you have to start it over and over again. So our process that Witherspoon created was uh, the ability to fraction it in a continuous flow, continuous feed process. <laughs> so... Not to get too far into uh, into Scientific America here, but there certainly are companies like Sassel in in, uh, mm -hmm. in South Africa that they do coal to liquids, coal to gas. Now you go on Wikipedia. No, <laughs> you can use the Googles. 
Yes, I, I, I own a smartphone. <laughs> how, how is this different than, than existing? Like, like you mentioned, these are technologies that have been around for a very long yeah. time. How is, how is this different? Well, uh, Sassel, um, yeah, very old company, um, named after Sasselberg, I believe, which is the original town that it was created. I didn't get that deep. And uh, they are, uh, they use a very expensive, high energy process that's a, in the chemistry world, it's called uh, Fisher Tropes. So they, they, they take, they cook the coal, like, so all the coal, coal gets consumed in the process. There's nothing left over. So they cook it, they gasify it, and then they take it through multiple stages where they use a very expensive rare catalysts that convert the product, the, the coal into different products. So the difference is um, that process is not economically viable. Okay. So that it's a very substanti- uh, substantiated process. It's very uh, process intensive. So, for example, our technology would have about three unit operations. Uh, uh, if you think about that game Mousetrap, remember that game where you had like the, you know, you do this <laughs> and then the ladder would tip and then the such and such. And so, like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, it was like, it's very, very complex. So, very expensive, high pressures, expensive cows. Uh, that technology is only viable if, if crude prices are about $95 a barrel. Fair enough. So we can be profitable down to about twenty dollars a barrel crude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the conversion process. Good question, the, by the, the way. Thank you. Oh, I'm going to give you some kudos for that. The uh, the uh, conversion process that you were just talking about, how they I don't remember what you said. If they said they actually consume or destroy the coal to actually make it into some kind of a fuel, mm-hmm. um, is that how does that affect the environment versus your process of extracting the actual? What you want out of the coal is to use it for fueling something, right? So how, how is your process more environmentally different? Yeah, it's a good question. Our process is it's a zero discharge. So we have a, a, zero, foot, uh, a zero discharge foot carbon footprint. So you take coal right now, there's, and you, if you take even a pristine coal and you push it to a power plant, you've got water in the coal for one. So when you burn something that's wet, you're going to produce CO2. So first thing we do is, through our process, we demoisturize the coal. So we estimate, depending on the feedstock, we'll reduce CO2 emissions from 30% to maybe 50%. So we trap the uh, sulfur, instead of burning it up and releasing it as, as a vaporous gas that has to be caught with sulfur scrubbers that the big coal-fired power plants use, uh, we trap those in the liquid fuels and they just get desulfurized before going into a vehicle or, okay. or an airplane. So you capture it? We capture it all. We get rid of the mercury and the arsenic. So, yeah, the, the, you mentioned the coal to liquid. Yeah, they use the, that's a conversion process. There's also another one you'll hear out there called sin gas. It's the same thing. They cook it into a gas. Very expensive. High pressure. You need a really high price on crude oil for that to make sense economically. So can you um, briefly, so since the U.S. is so abundant in coal, why is it now no longer as popular or rather viable to mine for the the very abundant natural resource? Coal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're going to get political, but we had uh, an administration that was picking winners and losers, and they picked coal to be a loser. For eight years, so um, the Obama administration, uh, Obama administration, yeah, um, he bought into an agenda that was, you know, there was a war on coal. It was called the war on coal, hmm. and you had uh, direct quote from President Obama was, "You can build a coal plant, you're just going to go bankrupt doing it," and so that's going to get us into some politics. I believe at the root of that uh, was this concept of U.S. sovereignty and state sovereignty versus more of a globalist type agenda. And if you look across the world, what's happened to people that have, countries that have bought into that, for example, like in the United Kingdom last year, um, actually it was 2015, I don't know what 16 was, they had over 20,000 seniors die of premature death. They call them premature deaths that froze to death because... 
they couldn't afford, they ran out of books and furniture to burn in their flats and they couldn't afford to heat them, their place anymore. And so you have this epidemic in England of people. Really? Yes. Oh no. You have this epidemic. It's not funny at all, Centauri. You shouldn't be I laughing about that. You have this epidemic of of seniors now riding the the buses and the tubes around all day during the winters to stay warm. Because there's a lack of energy. And it's because they've made it so expensive. Okay. Wow. So with with very very significant environmental cures, um, they've raised the cost of power so much. And so just to hope, just help me. Um, correlation between environmental <clears throat> consciousness and crisis on energy. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's questionable science when you get into this now I was a nutritional major, you know, and I, I found out early on, you know, I don't want to talk nutrition with people because it's almost like with religion, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, oh, I, I eat this way. And I, my mom told me I could do that. And so you get into energy now and it's become this tremendously politicized. You it's know. probably just as bad as nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's become really bad, and it's it's the you know this is good, this is bad, this is mm -hmm. really bad, and um, there's a book in two thousand was published in two thousand fourteen, a guy named Alex Epstein wrote. It's a very good book. It's called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, mm -hmm. and I'd recommend anyone out there even read the brief on it, the audio book. But it's phenomenal, and he essentially shows what great advancements have happened in on our planet. You know, because of fossil fuels, it's contributed to our ability to live longer lives, you know, benefit, control our environment. You know, we can be here in Scottsdale in the middle of July and live absolutely perfectly because we have air conditioning because of power, which comes from energy. And so most of that was from fossil fuels. It's dramatically transformed our lives, our ability to store food and have instead of an ice box, you know, to have a refrigerator and deep storage freezers. So, sure. uh it's important for us to weigh, you know, the the benefits versus demonizing certain sectors. Mm -hmm. So, I think I answered your question. No, that was good. Can you, okay. Yeah, can you okay. just kind of uh, circle back on the, the 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 things happening in the UK? So, what what's been the? Has there been any political change or no? On that? There so had well, you, you could see that coming now with Brexit. Okay, because they're I mean. It, they're very confined. And I went to school in England for a year back in 1987, 88. And uh, I, I remember it was bizarre because you had these weird things that then it was the, well, it was the euro, you know, but it was prior to the euro. But you'd have to, they all had these small refrigerators. They were almost kind of like a little bit bigger than dorm fridges. But then they would sell things like that you could only buy like a three liter of Coke, not a two liter. You could like a three liter. And then, but the, they didn't fit in the fit they didn't yeah. fit in the refrigerator. So you'd go over someone's place. Oh, would you like some Coke? You know, would you like a glass of soda. You know? That's really good. And they say pull it out of the, the cupboard and pour you this flat <laughs> soda. And so you know, it's you know it's government trying to manipulate and force. Or you couldn't. I remember they didn't have six packs. You know, only eighteen. So you know you want to go buy. You could buy four, but you couldn't buy a pack of six. An American because you know they just they were forcing everybody into these weird <clears throat> rules. Oh, okay. So. So I think you could see some relief to that. Yeah. But you asked me a question about coal. And so I, it was Peabody Coal went bankrupt. They, they're coming out of bankruptcy now. Alpha went bankrupt. And it was the war on coal. It was 100%. It was, it was, became a four-letter word where anything coal-related was just tossed to the side because we had a... So needless to say, regardless of politics, that... The Trump election changed our universe a bit domestically. It patents all over the world, but uh, <clears throat> I jokingly say that that Hillary Clinton and I have definitely have one thing in common. It's that we both got really drunk on election night. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And maybe, maybe many, many more. <laughs> but that, <laughs> maybe many other nights. We definitely yeah, did that, that is, for sure, both of us. That so. is, that is so different. The different scope of, of of today's conversation. <laughs> I almost I almost opened the uh, the podcast instead of my nacho crack with uh, when did nuance die? You know, I feel like nuance died. I, I'm not sure what year actually. So when did nuance die? Did that die in two thousand in the two thousands or the two thousand and tens? I'm I'm not really sure, but it's either yes or no, right? It's tribalism. 
It's yeah. global warming's real or it's not real. It's Republican. It's Democrat. It's coal is good. Coal is terrible. Yeah. And obviously, coal is not good or bad. Right. Inherently. It just is coal. It is coal. So yeah. what we do with it and how we extract it from the earth and, and everything else, that's really what's what's important. And in order to have a real conversation about all these things, you have to have a real conversation about all these things. That's right. Which um, is great about what you guys do because you're provoking thought and that's probably the best thing that people can do is step back and maybe you know you know take a step back from the rhetoric and you know the, the simple memes and things the bumper sticker type ideology and go you know hey you know let's 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 look at the let's look at the bigger picture here so is it fair if you wanted to call coal evil or fossil fuels evil right. that the US became the wealthiest country in the history of mankind using fossil fuels to build out its entire infrastructure, mm -hmm. but that's not good for other countries now who right. are, are underdeveloped and their people don't have infrastructure and don't have electrical grid and you know, they just don't get to do that. Conflictful China, China yeah. so. India. Um, it's, it's interesting that energy, you we were talking about it right from the outset, that energy is the number three industry in the United States. So it's a massive industry. Um, so what they throw, what that industry throws its weight behind is what's going to move the needle unless you have a government that comes into like the Obama administration said that we're not interested in coal. We want to invest in different kinds of energy forms. So therefore peak coal was in 2008. That was the highest it's ever been. And it's been tumbling ever since. We'll see what happens with the Trump administration. But you mentioned that in order for a lot of these alternate energies like so let's talk about solar mm -hmm. to be viable it required government subsidy um and that may be true but now you have an entrepreneur like elon musk who's kind of flipping the script and says you know what i'm going to do this i don't need your money necessarily what are your thoughts on that well when, a lot. I, when i wrote the i wrote our original business plan for the company um, I borrowed this economic theory from these two economists named Richard and David Wiedemer. And they had this theory, and they call it step theory, that for big changes to happen in society, in technologies, and economics, you have to have step, S-T-E-P, science, technology, economics, and politics. You have to have all four of them together. So step theory has got to be in alignment. And if you have, if you miss one of those and you're still trying to drive it forward, you're going to have a deficiency. Hmm. So um, a good example of that was is, is solar. Now there's a difference between solar farms and, and rooftop solar. Mm -hmm. um, definitely rooftop solar, the technology is not there to be economically viable without economic, without huge environmental, or, uh, sorry, economic subsidies, need tax subsidies. So for when you can produce significantly cheaper energy with natural gas or, or coal uh, or, or, or hydroelectric or um, uh, some of the other forms, your nuclear, you, to, to pick an industry out and say we're going to give huge subsidies and tax subsidies to those people that put these goofy looking things on their houses just because we want to. You're going to create markets that are not real. And those mm. Markets are going to become fractured mm. because eventually economics will come into play. So the science, the technology is not the science is there with, with solar. The technology is not really there. That's the missing piece, right? Yes, and because of that, your economics are questionable, and then you have this huge political push for it, mm. and um, it's driving a market that the free market would not normally support. And then there are um, some externalities as far as the uh, environment from solar panels, right? I didn't realize I was doing some work with some entrepreneurs at ASU that there's a significant amount of pollution that's produced from the solar panels. They have a lifespan of about 25 years, and after that, to break those down, it's really costly for the environment. Is that correct? I don't think most people realize um, that. Yeah, there's, a, there's eventually, they've got to go somewhere. They right. use some of the technologies, use uh, catalysts and, and rare minerals to produce them. They're producing solar panels pretty inexpensively now. I, our uh, our chief technology officer, who knows, he's unique because he understands 
gases, liquids, and solids. So most chemical engineers and those, they're smart guys. So they're, they're really smart guys. This is the guy <laughs> but, that was scoffing at rocket science. Yeah, scoffing. Right but they, you know, there's not too many of those guys that get out of chemical engineering school, the few that there are, and then they go, I'm going into semiconductors. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to work for <clears> Intel, right. and I come in for the next 25 years, 30 years, and I just don't ever look left or look right. And so our engineer, uh, Joe, he's a He's been in, he's worked for, you know, early on I was looking at the technology, I go, why hasn't Chevron figured this out? He goes, I don't work for Chevron. What makes you think they're smarter than I am? Oh, I got to have this guy on the podcast. (laughs) He sounds great. Yeah. And so, but so the, um, uh, I think I answered your question, did I? Did I I miss something that is part of it? Just wondering about the the environmental implications of solar that most people probably don't know about. Unintended consequences. Yeah, I don't think that's... Probably not that big of a deal. I don't think that's that big of a deal, the environmental consequences of solar. I don't, what I was going to say is, uh, Joe's told me, he doesn't, what this was told me, he believes the projections on the panel lives are significantly flawed. Yeah, wow. And so that so that there's all these forecasts, oh, it's a 20-year lifespan, it's a 24-year life. Well, what happens if they last eight years? What happens if they last 10 years? And so they sell people on these um, rooftop solar plans that, by the way, are falling apart in Arizona because all, all, all the subsidies, <laughs> but all the subsidies are gone. Right. So then you know so they're not doing the net metering anymore, which is simply, you know, you get to make something wholesale and sell it to retail. You know, sell it retail back into the grid, which doesn't make any sense. So I think a lot of those panels will probably fail far earlier. Hmm. So again, we're at economics. We're getting we're back to technology and we're back to economics. So they have to then they have to well they're warranty they're under well. Um, what happens if the warranty come go under? Because there's mass default. And so, speak. You speak about Elon Musk. Obviously, he's a he's a he's an MIT guy. I'm not. He's a lot smarter than I am. But um, you know, he's lost two point nine billion dollars in Tesla since they started thirteen years ago. And uh, so he survives on taxpayer subsidies. They okay. Lose, they lose thirteen thousand dollars on every te- every Tesla that they sell. Oh wow. And uh, they only make. A lot of the revenue on Tesla's comes in California because they sell carbon or they sell emissions credits. So the big car manufacturers, obviously, California is what the seventh or eighth largest economy in the world. Something like that. Something like that. And so they they've got very strict emission standards in California. That's another topic for us, California. But every all the car manufacturers. They have to produce X number of vehicles that meet certain CARB standards, California Air or something board. Um, I'm trying to remember what it is. And they um, don't hit them. So they do is they go and buy the credits from Tesla to help offset their commission. Hmm. So it's just that some of that revenue model is not, is not available in other states. Fuzzy math, Centauri. Fuzzy, Fuzzy math. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say you know. Nope, correct. Hopefully, I'm not putting your audience to sleep here, but I think. The, no, I think that's very. I mean, yeah. knowing that Tesla loses 14k per yeah per vehicle is pretty. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, the I, I if I had to look forward into the future, I'd say electric cars are not the way it's going to be. A, high, a hybrid vehicle is much more viable. We'll circle right back to that. Yeah, we'll come back then. I'm. 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 Uh, we talked a little bit about. Um, how poor English pensioners were freezing to death. Um, <clears throat> and I, I don't know anything about that. It, it sounds like a terrible thing, and I hope that didn't really happen, but I'm sure that it actually did. But I imagine that, like so many times, government's eyes are too big, are bigger than its stomach. Eyes are bigger than the stomach. So you want to push and be green and be kind to the environment. So we're going to get away from fossil fuels and get alternative energy sources in here, but we do it too quickly before the actual technology advances. So one of the things that's great about solar and wind is that when it's working, then it's great, but when it's rainy out or cloudy, then it's not working. And so then there's blackouts. This is happening in Australia right now. So that's where heat goes out and there's not a way to store the energy that's created from Mm -hmm. solar and wind. Um, and that's something that that uh, that companies like Tesla are working on is how do you capture and store in batteries? But that's that's what you're talking about is how there's yeah. failures in the grid when we're too reliant on a new technology which isn't necessarily consistent. It's a good point. The the, the terminology for that is base load. 
So you have to have baseload power because everyone thinks, oh, we can get this clean power. Well, power generation, like for SRP in the last couple of years, 50, 49% of their budget was transmission, wasn't the actual power generation. And so the grid that we have- What does that mean? Meaning getting the power from where it's produced to everyone that's using the power, it was about half of the cost of your power. Huh. It wasn't just produced. So we don't we forget all the lines, the transmission the infrastructure, lines, right? everything. the substations Lots you know, big. That, that move all the power around. And so <clears throat> a couple of years back, um, Caltech and you know, in Southern California, and that's kind of like the MIT of the West Coast, really nerdy guys, you know, smarter than I am. Like we have fun hanging out with them, maybe. You know, until they started talking, I wouldn't understand anything. Wow, but, hating you know, on so smart kids. Just, just really smart dudes, Caltech. <laughs> and, uh, but they, uh, they did a study that said converting the entire grid to uh, renewable-only energy would cost $30 trillion and be the most difficult engineering task in history. Because baseload, the grid is made to deliver consistent flow of electricity. Mm. And so you hit it on the head. You said, what happens when the clouds come out? Right. Well, well, Germany has 25% of the world's solar power. And um, since they've developed that, they had in 2016, their, their power output went down because it was just kind of cloudy that year in Germany. It turns out Germany has a lot of clouds you know it's kind of a, that doesn't surprise it's kind of a rainy there's nothing kind of, shopping about that it's kind of rainy <laughs> right? so you, you keep building more and more solar and culturally and, yeah that's right yeah. and so they uh the scenes in germany did not they did not anticipate all these clouds so they oh, had you know they got all the accents yeah they, i was throwing my accents <laughs> and so i talked with german german you know we have a we have a law firm in munich we deal with Man, when they they tell you to send their money, they mean like right now. They they yeah, don't mess with Germany. They don't mess with them, and they're twice as expensive as everybody else, you know. But they, you know, they they're very exacting. Those Germans are, you know. But they, you know, their power went, um, their power production went down, even though they kept building more and more solar, because it turns out you can't forecast things like clouds and weather. So German uh, Germany's had to keep subsidizing the cost of energy. And so it's really interesting here. We don't think anything. We we uh, we uh, turn the lights on, we charge our phones, we run our air conditioning. Well, in Germany, in those places, you buy kind of like a data plan. You buy like an energy plan with X amount of kilowatts. Hmm. And so the more plan you buy, you'll get, if you buy more, you'll get more of a discount. It's really funky. But um, they've had companies leaving Germany because they've raised the cost of power so much where you get chemical companies that you consume a ton of power. Yeah. They just start leaving. They can't, they can't do business in Germany anymore. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yeah. How do they, how do you meter that on a house by house? This house has a 15, whatever. Like how do you do that from a company standpoint? Since like the infrastructure and that would be insane. Well, I mean, they have smart meters so they can tell how much they're dispensing and how much yeah, they're using. Like, and how much power I use. Yeah. And which is usually less than my neighbors. Yeah. But they make it. It does make the people more, you know, conscious because they're considering yeah, how much power yeah, they're using. Yeah, so maybe yeah. they're thinking. In it's terms an interesting of, idea. Yeah, in terms of, of of conserving and yeah. Seems like they'd be like the you know Americans. Americans yeah, yeah. just got lights on everywhere yeah. and pool pumps running during the day and yeah. stuff like that. You know, we're just getting that's silly, right. Getting silly with it. Big refrigerators. Huge. You know. Big. needs that's right that's yeah. right that's right store all my food <laughs> all our cheap man. all our cheap power you know, we're, just, we're just getting silly with it need to keep my food cold bro nice okay so <clears throat> want to cover a couple of things and make sure that 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 that, that, that we touch on this uh, not feasible not fair to let's just pick on india on India to say you need to go all solar when they could be using fossil fuels? I don't know the answer to that. Well, it's funny you should say that because I, I, I read a lot about India. I don't know why I, I get news feeds from the energy sector in India on my phone and those darn Indians. There's a lot going on there. A lot of people there. Um, <laughs> they. Uh, so you're asking me why should we not force them? No, I'm saying 
does it make more sense for them to use fossil fuels from well, a they financial have, standpoint? They have to. Uh, that's what I'm asking. So I don't they, know. They have a lot of coal. They do. They actually do. They actually are large. One of the largest. Uh, um, we're patent pending in India. They're one of the large coal producers and coal users of coal. They've got a billion people and uh, a, t- a tremendous amount of people. And, and one of the challenges India has, and people don't think about this, is their water is very deep underneath the earth's surface. Hmm. So it, tra- it requires a tremendous amount of, ele- of power uh, to pump the water out. Water water is very, very heavy. No idea. A three by three cube of water weighs about a ton. Weighs about two thousand pounds. And so they, they have they their energy requirements are very, very large. Okay. And um, they don't have in terms of how they're run as a country, um, they need more power. They they need a better electrical grid. Bill Gates is a big promoter of getting power to the to the to the rest of the world. He said, you know, getting power to the rest of the world should be one of our biggest priorities because mm-hmm. that's when you allow people to read at night and keep their food cold. And yeah, or not die of horrible disease. Not die of disease and have sanitation. Have clean water right? and stuff. Right, clean water. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's, <clears throat> it economically makes more sense for them to deploy some kind of a technology using fossil fuels than it does going with wind or solar yeah they've got a fair amount of solar there obviously they've got a lot of they've got a lot of sun and um they're continuing to build out solar it's just you can't so the easiest number to think about is the number 75 you know if you take a number and divide it by 75 you're gonna you're gonna get it's the easiest way to think about it you're gonna get the amount of time it takes for something to double it's 72 so <laughs> Yeah, rule of seventy-two, but seventy-five is easier to build number. Good enough. So you you, you know you figure something if, if you if your power needs were growing at five percent per year, seventy-five divided by five, it's about fifteen years. Your power consumption would double. So the place like India, their power needs continue to grow, and you, you the only way you can meet base load with that is with fossil fuel. It's just not viable to do it any other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Solar is very is a phenomenal form of energy production. There's just Fukushima and stuff like that. They've you know, maybe the only thing looked at worse than coal is solar, right? I don't know. I mean, so it is, uh, is nuclear. Place. So there has to be just a hybrid model of making that scale. Go figure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> just so, <clears throat> and I and I I I look at our technology, and I I'm optimistic that one day it'll be just a, it'll be a bridge technology mm-hmm. in the future. You know, what might be what people don't want to hear is that solar is going to be ready in 125 years. Everyone wants it to happen now. You know, now, now, now. Let's legislate it and vote it in and force it upon people. Right. And, uh, you know, who are we to determine that that should be the course of the way things happen? So, we're the United States of America, man. That's right. So, <clears throat> the the number one consumption of power by the United States is natural gas. At least it was in 2013. Petroleum coming in second. Natural gas at 32%. Petroleum at 28%. Coal 21%. Renewable energy, which I've been referring to as alternative, 11 And nuclear, 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 nuclear. if you are George nuclear. W., at, at, uh, at about 10%. So, so there you go. So to, to think that it would just be we would flip the script on the rest of the world and say it's all going to be renewable energies is is kind of silly. Yeah, of course it is. Um, funny thing about natural gas, I mean, natural gas is making a huge push. You know, you've looked at in Arizona, you've maybe seen some of the press about Navajo Generating Station, which is mm-hmm. the largest coal-fired power plant in the United States. It's in Page. Mm-hmm. So you've got about a 1,000 jobs in the city of Page. Uh, it's point five gigawatts, I think is what it is. It's a very big plant, co-owned by a few different owners. And uh, the push has been decommission it because we can get, now natural gas, there's so, it's so plentiful, we can get natural gas cheaper than coal. And why would we keep burning that when we get cheaper natural gas? Mm-hmm. And so that pulls in a lot of interesting scenarios, especially if you live in Arizona, as you're watching me, because you, you, you want to think about protection stability and probably some state sovereignty 
So Arizona is the only state without an oil refinery. We don't have one in Arizona. The um, only one. It's the only one. Oh, really? The only one. Yeah. Nice piece of trivia. We don't refine any oil in Arizona. And we have no natural gas. So we would be buying all of our natural gas from outside the state. And a lot of the energy world, they think uh, they're trying to convert all the coal fleet to natural gas. It's kind of like crack dealers. You, know, you get them all hooked. And then what do you think will happen to the price of natural gas? It will, of course, it will escalate. So, <laughs> if they're any good at dealing natural gas, so we've, we we're actually in talks um, with our technologists to be a solution for Navajo generating station because we could provide the coal power as cheaper, cheaper than natural gas. Natural gas is not as clean as everybody says it is. Mm. So that's that's really important for people to understand. Is natural gas when you burn it, it's clean. But the production of natural gas, pulling it out of the ground, flaring off the volatiles into the environment, leaking natural gas, methane into the environment, which is a huge contributor um, to the erosion of the ozone layer, about 70 times that of the molecule of CO2. Methane is much more damaging based on the science. Uh, that stuff gets flared out all along the way until the natural gas finally gets burned. So all this, the data on this clean, pure natural gas, it's... When you burn it, but how dirty was it? Making it there. All the way getting so, it there. So some know? level setting for our listeners. When you say clean, it means less carbon emissions. What does clean mean? Um, that's good. That's a great question. Uh, clean would be um, less pollution, uh, less less volatile or, uh, volatile organic compounds, noxes, nitro- nitrogen compounds, um, uh, toxic elements. Coal tends to produce mercury and uh, arsenic in not large quantities, but enough that could be pollutants. And of course, we need to be responsible. When a, when a power is really cheap, though, you can put in control measures because it's so inexpensive to control those things. So air pollution, water pollution, land pollution, toxic byproducts. I would say if technologies that consume too much water are probably... Is it important that we are cognizant about using too much water? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, you know, Arizona, it's funny because we've benefited from coal so much because coal was so inexpensive. The excess power was sold to Arizona at very, very low rates, and that's what powers Central Arizona Project, which pumps the water mm. all the way through Arizona. So, Which is important to our way of life. That's right. Mm. Golf courses don't stay green on their own. Sometimes. No, they do not. And people in Arizona need them. <laughs> so you referenced um, a little bit earlier that it wasn't necessarily electric cars, which were going to be the uh, the deal. It was more of a hybrid. Um, but that's fascinating, right? You have companies like Uber and Lyft, which are disrupting uh, the world with autonomous driving, which is online right now and set to come online by 2020 for a, a lot and it's you're talking about 38 percent of statistics are are are, uh, are made up. I was trying to do a little bit of research, and I found that maybe there's five million jobs in the in the United States that are that are driving jobs. Hmm. And give or take, um, I got sexist on it and assumed that those were probably mostly men and men of driving age that were working. Maybe that's a hundred million. So that's about five percent. Of working men are in driving careers. Oh. Driving Sorry, they, oper- they operate a, a operate a vehicle for for, for a living. living. Like that's including trucking, commercial, all of everything. It, yeah, gotcha. Well, gotcha. this is going to open up a very interesting conversation right now. Let's go. How much time do we have? As much time as we need. Yeah, all keep right. going. All right. So this gets into autonomous cars and where everything that's going. So and the zombie apocalypse is where it all ends. I. Know, maybe, uh, and the zombies will be able to ride around in, in the autonomous cars. You know, they'll be able to attack you. Completely. Shoot! So you've got um, so all right. So an electric vehicle on. If you go to the Facebook page, Frontier Applied Sciences, uh, and like our Facebook page, last week I think it was last Monday or Tuesday, I posted an article called "The Inconvenient Truth About Electric Cars." Mm. And it's, it's a rather good read because it's all scientific. It essentially shows how much, you know, the, the different energy is potential, 
power is taking energy and getting it to do things, right? That's what power is, mm-hmm. is moving energy into doing things, right? So, there's a term for that. So, uh, well, there's different types. There's kinetic energy and static energy. I feel right? like that's what I was looking for, it's kinetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, you know, Centauri may have a lot of potential power mm. until he punches me in the face. You know what I mean? The, the power is no within yeah. him, right? You wouldn't so, want that. So I would not, man. Stay in the shallow love, water. Love those guns, man. So, <laughs> yeah, but seriously, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, so an electric vehicle is very inefficient in terms of the original amount of electricity that's produced by, I, I jokingly, I got a couple of friends with Teslas and I'll be like, so how do you like your coal powered vehicle? You know, cause you know, Arizona we're 35% of our electric, you know, is coal. Oh, wow. So, 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 yeah. yeah. Nobody thinks about where the electric comes from. Yeah. So you got a coal powered car, you got a natural gas powered vehicle, right? You know, you got a coal powered cell phone that you charge, you know, in, in the wall, the electricity has got to come from somewhere and we don't even think about it. From the time we're kids, there's just these magic little holes in the just wall happens. and we just plug in our, you know, our, you know, electronic devices and we get electric out of it. So, but the power's coming from somewhere. So, hard uh, coal miner. That's right. So the, uh, the autonomous vehicle world, that's going to be a significant change. And that's an example of tech, you know, step theory, science, technology, economics, and politics. I sat in a, in a think tank, you know, presentation in 2007. And there was this guy and I'm thinking, this guy is on drugs, right? They give me a break. And he was telling us that uh, General Motors already had the technology. And in 2017, they would be ready to release autonomous vehicles you're like no way no way <laughs> turns guy, out this guy's been watching <laughs> watching too much Nova or something you know <laughs> and so oh. like, give me a break and so he, he he jokingly said yeah he said your mom will be able to get in the car in Iowa and it'll drive her all the way to her to her winter place in Sun City and he said you will have you will measure rides on how many beers you can have on the way over to the ride this he guy said, sounds great. He does. He was. I wish he would leave my mom. He, on, was, he was. He was pretty smart, but uh, but uh, so you think about autonomous vehicles. That's going to be a significant shift to the entire economy. So so think about. It. They say it will, when fully deployed, it'll have a significant reduction on auto accidents, right? Yes. So that they're saying like ninety percent. Mm-hmm. All the accidents will be... Which I agree yeah. with. There was a uh, great article in The Atlantic maybe two months ago about autonomous driving, and it was, I think it was 91, 92% of accidents are all human error. Nothing to do with cars, fault, yeah. it's all humans. And, and what, what some of the things I've heard um, is recently is one of the challenges in deploying autonomous cars is the morality about the software writing. Right. Do you hit a kid or do you hit right. a wall? Right. You take yeah. out this family. That's very or, interesting. Or do you hit the pedestrian? Right. You know, you know that person and has to make a decision. Oh, we can go back and sue the company right. because they wrote the software and had you done it different. You don't know that they wrote that. So that's very interesting. Stuff. It really is interesting. But so if you think about what happens if you eliminate 90% of the accidents, okay? So what does that do? To insurance rates. Insurance, everything else. You can make money off accidents. Right. So yeah. insurance rates drop significantly. Yeah, what car insurance almost goes away. Right. What does it do to body shops? Right. I mean, those, those go away. Right. I mean, it, it starts changing things rather dramatic. What does it do to automobile construction with safety, mm-hmm. with safety systems that aren't needed as much? Yeah. Why, do you need, why do you need airbags? Why do I need a high-performance vehicle if I'm not driving it? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting, for everybody. It's an interesting thought as so to what happens. What are the theories on energy consumption with autonomous? You, you'll set cars on the road. So will it decrease energy? More people or less people will be driving, but maybe not. Where people I, I, will still be in vehicles. I, I don't know that I've seen any statistics on the influence on energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, There'll just be way less cars. Because we'll share them, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. There's that. We only drive our cars 10% of the time. Otherwise, 90% of the time, they sit in the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if there's really no reason to, and essentially, you know, you're having a cab or an Uber, mm-hmm. right? You could own your own car, but I bet less people will. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, you, cars have gotten very expensive. That's another conversation about artificially low interest rates and what that's done to the cost of durable, no doubt. durable goods. But uh, Okay, so why, I'm sorry, why hybrid versus just electric? Well, electric vehicles are very inefficient. So that was, okay, so we're still you, using coal to power them. Well, not only that, it's it's that you have to think about it in terms of where does the energy come from and how much of the energy that's consumed actually gets to the wheels of the vehicle mm-hmm. on the road. And the electrical grid, and in, in except for commercial uses, like if you go out to uh, Intel, right? I mean, some of the large companies, they have their own energy sources. Sure. They're producing, they have large diesel. Flux capacitor. Diesel, yeah, something like that. Good, yeah. Good that. yeah. You're good. Yeah, they've got their 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 own energy production, Empire Machinery, right? They've got these huge diesel generators that are producing so much energy because they need it on site and produce there. When you start moving energy across long distances, you lose electricity to conductivity and to heat. And so that article on that Facebook page talks all about that. It's it's rather intriguing. I think the line it used was. Electricity is really good when you're powering things like toasters, mm. but not so much when you're trying to get it all the way to an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's interesting, right? My car could probably be electric if I was just commuting around town, but if I'm actually moving a semi trailer full of goods across the country, then probably not. Yeah, one of the stats. Or maybe I'm looking at that one, wrong. One of the stats in that piece was so when you realize it's a natural gas powered vehicle. Right, it's not electric. It's the natural gas is where the energy came from, chemical, you know, to convert it into electricity. So about twenty percent of the natural gas could power a vehicle, and it, it drops to about fifteen. You only get about fifteen percent of it uh, powering an electric vehicle because you lose so much your conductivity. Okay, I'm sorry. So I could power the vehicle for. 20% of what it's actually being powered by if I was using strictly natural gas? No, if you took about, if you had a, a, a natural gas powered vehicle. About, if I just poured natural gas into the car. Yeah, about 20% of the power uh, from the natural gas would make it to the road. And only about, if you then converted it to electricity and then powered it to the vehicle, only about 15%. Okay, so you're saying if I use natural gas instead of petroleum? Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So it's it's just it's just that's where that's where science really helps us because it gets rid of a lot of these goofy oh this looks green because someone has a green logo you know and so, tells me it's green huh. for <laughs> for our listeners where where's a good repository for exactly uh, just facts about where to find so yes. the things about Tesla the things about you know electric that that's all new to me I feel like I'm pretty well versed and I read a lot of, about this stuff yeah. but where's a good place to find information well on those a good place to go to those things is to go to the the fringe uh, economic places because those are the guys that, really those huh. are the guys that are sharing all the data that nobody wants to talk about so there's a site like I Alex like, Jones there's a no no I'd say there's a good site I like to read called Zero Hedge. Okay. And uh, that's a very, very good site. Um, it's a lot of Wall Street insiders. and It's, it's funny because a lot of the articles on, Wall, on Zero Hedge, they don't want to identify who the guy writing the article. Hmm. So that it's, it's written by Tyler Durden. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> Which was Brad Pitt's character. Fight Club, Club reference. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I understood that. So, that yeah. Okay. So they, but <laughs> the, the data they put out is tremendous. Um, and on various different topics, so you'll find out interesting things about companies. So, for example, um, in terms of technology, here's a great example. Are you guys familiar with the company Theranos? Yeah. Okay. Which is now bankrupt, right? No longer exists. Correct. Yeah. So I, th- I think they're out of business. Maybe they. They're actually uh, they're actually coming back, but that's not here nor there. So this gal, oh gosh, what's her name? Elizabeth. I'm not sure what her name is. So this gal comes out with this ability or this Edison machine, which supposedly could take one tiny drop of blood and produce 60 or 70 tests from one drop of blood. Mm -hmm. And so my cousin who's a surgeon uh, and his wife's a doctor, they're like, it's just so ridiculous because one drop of blood is so tiny that it's, it's you'll have corruption inside right. one time where mm-hmm. a larger sample of blood you want right and so um, but so she you know she she's this darling of Silicon Valley Silicon Valley she uh, 
dresses like Steve Jobs, wears a black turtleneck every day, and she raises billions of dollars. And this company has this multi extremely effective market cap, and it was all built on a lie <clears throat> they could that they could get sixty or seventy tests from this non-invasive little teeny prick of blood out of your finger, and all this we've we've solved this terrible problem of drawing blood and all this time and everything. It's just <clears throat> bullshit, frankly. And so the company. They, she had all these board members like Henry Kissinger and all these people and former generals out of the military that were had no science background but had big... Great names. Yeah, yeah very well said. Yeah, good names that, that propped it up. And so it's a great example. The technology wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So it was it was, um, someone like a zero hedge, were they able to like be with Oh, yeah. So they, they knew ahead of time. Oh, you were hearing all about it way before. And they Anyone were, else? Is there? this really true? And there's right. all these questions about it. And, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a reference back to that. Where do you get your news? Do you, are there traditional sources? Obviously, we talked obviously about the Zero Hedge and some fringe sources, but do you find from na- mainstream anywhere? Or? You know, it's funny you say that. Um, various different, so you asked about the energy, mm-hmm. e, uh, EIA.gov, uh, I think, .gov is Energy Information Administration. So they publish a lot of data. So they show this is where the data, you know, this is how much coal production is coming. You know, really exciting stuff. If you have insomnia, you know, it really help you a lot. But you can get your data there. Um, so it's just raw data. You interpret it how you will. No, I mean, they give you the interpretation. They yeah, they show it. Okay. Here's how much the power is coming from here. Got here, here. This is what this means. Where do I get my news? Um, I, I mean, I, I watch very little um, network news television. I think you've got a lot of shock and awe value out there, and it's it's a business. They're, it's a business that they're 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 buying for ratings, and um, they're selling commercials. So most of it's the internet. So yeah, yeah, most of it's internet and uh, publications and uh, sites like uh, like a Zero Hedge. So got it. I mean, it's hard work to actually do our own research and to read information from multiple sources because there's so much information that's available out there. But going back to the whole depth of nuance, we need to bring that. We as, as individuals need to appreciate the fact that it's not a right or wrong, yes or no, it's not a zero-sum game. There's right and factual information on both sides. And the answer is not, again, yes or no, it's somewhere in the middle, like what you're talking about. And there are technologies like Frontiers that are incredibly viable um, and that can be a solution, maybe not forever, but bridge a gap like, like, like what you're talking about until one day Elon Musk solves everything. So, or not. Or not. Or, or not. Um, so I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm buying into those SpaceX videos where this pencil thing is landing. And all of a sudden, uh, just, that's another conversation. It probably is another conversation. Is, some of it's really bizarre. But some yeah. of it might be suspect. But yes. Anyway, somebody's got to save the world. Someone has. But to. you're right. That we need. We need. A, it's good to have dialogue like this. I mean, you know, your viewers that are watching and hanging in. We have. We need to have these conversations. And they're all intelligent, discerning people. So yeah. So, Tari, what have we forgotten to talk about? No, answered all of my questions. I guess uh, the last thing that I would ask is, like, what would be one thing you'd like to tell folks um, that are listening about just, you know, energy? And so I learned a ton in this last hour about energy in the United States. But looking at um, what are some trends and what, what should people know? What should people try to find out for themselves? Are you talking about as an investor? No, just as a citizen of the, of the country. Uh, that's a good question. Um be conscious that there are forces at work that want you to believe certain things. And you go back to the, you know, the Watergate saying, uh, follow the money, you know, no doubt, you know, where, where is, who's being paid to, to push per, a message, to push that message. Right. And a simple example of that would be, um, the Sierra club, right? The Sierra club, was paid $35 million by Chesapeake Energy, a natural gas company, to create the Beyond Coal campaign and attack the coal industry. Hmm. So, you know, <laughs> you know, there are, are they, are they really impartial doing, you know, no, the answer's do, no. doing virtuous altruistic work, you know, or are they being paid to do it? 
And so, you know, debt and money make the world go round. And I think that's probably the most important thing is when you hear a message that says, oh, we've got global warming, right? You know, so we need to take massive action. That massive action is, you know, we need to tax everybody. We need to tax companies and we need to give that authority over to this body that's going to put all these punitive tax and restrictions. And um, that, so that's the main thing I would say to people is be cautious. We are, we are free. We have a free country and energy has given us the ability to change our lives and change our country and change our surroundings and environments. And without energy, we can accomplish nothing. And cheap, inexpensive energy is the most important thing. We need, we need to balance that, of course, with what's good for, for the environment, uh, polluting rivers and, and the air, of course. But be cautious of the people that are driving a really extreme message and they're being paid to do it. That, that's probably the best thing I would say. Okay. Okay. Excellent advice for sure. Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you so much. It's great being here. Thank you, Centauri. I don't know that I thank you enough. You really don't. That was really nice. Thank you. You're out. welcome. Thank you. That was awesome. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.